RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. Hey Mike, how's it going? Good, Dusty, how are you? I can't complain. So here we are, recording another episode of RPG Lessons Learned, and we are not in RFC Studios. Our surroundings look a little bit different. It's weird in here. It is. Um, Brian is off enjoying HasCon, Hasbro's convention, so we wish him well in sunny Rhode Island. He's getting nice and far away from the hurricane. Yeah, so, absolutely. So hurricanes, I should say. Yeah. So, so good for him. Uh, today, Mike and I are going to discuss another game in our Pathfinder Beginner Box campaign. I've set it up a few times in the past, but just really quickly for new listeners, I challenge myself to run a miniature campaign, levels 1 through 5 in Pathfinder, using only the Beginner Box and the monsters, materials, and pawns in the Beginner Box. So, this is the first session of that miniature campaign to really focus in on one player. So, Mike, let's talk about the campaign a little bit. Yep. I hadn't run a campaign in quite some time yep. when we started this this miniature Pathfinder campaign, and I really wanted this to be player-driven. Lots of player choices, player impacts. And after that first dungeon, after Black Fang's dungeon, I sent out several emails asking you guys, hey, what's next? What are your aspirations? What do you want to do? And I got nothing back. What's up with that, yo? Um, I would have to say my first initial answer is that we are all terrible people. <laughs> um, you know, I, uh, I I really don't have a good answer on that, why none of us, and I mean none of us, replied to any of those emails. There were tons of times I looked through it, I read through it, and I was like, okay, I need to set aside a minute to think up of something and reply to Dusty. And I just never did. So, so let me talk. So I see lots of threads online, right? Yeah. Where GMs get frustrated that the players don't put in the same amount of work on the campaign as the GM does. Yeah. And, and in our case, that's certainly true. I put in a lot of work, a lot of thought. This 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 campaign format has let me cut back on that. Yeah. Which is good. But in general, I work harder on the games than you guys, and I don't mind that. Yeah. In the social contract of us, I think that uh, you guys playing enable me to DM. And DMing is what I really want to do, so it works out for me. Yeah. So, but what's what's the takeaway here? What is the lesson learned? And we're gonna try to use the use the whiteboard in this session to actually really underscore lessons learned in this episode. You guys don't put the effort in between sessions. You don't have time. Life's yep. busy. Is D and D something for you that happens only at the table? As a player, I will say yes. For for the sessions that I DM'd. I absolutely took the time to to, to 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 build those resources to build to build those campaigns and those dungeons that, that I ran for you guys. But yeah, um, I would say absolutely as a player, D and D is something that pretty much only happens at the table. Like even now from our last game, I have a task to do that I have not done from our last game to take my paper character sheet and put it into some digital format to get ready for roll twenty so that we can continue playing with Nathan online. As a DM, I probably would have jumped on that like the night after. For some reason, as a player, I just get this mental block in my head. It's like, oh, I have a chore to do to play this game. What? I'm not going to do a chore to play a game. What? I've got other things to do. So, I don't know. I, I think 
I think there's less impetus on players to complete their in-between game chores, so they're just not as good as completing them. And I think that may be uh, the lesson learned to take from this out as a DM is don't give your players chores unless you absolutely know they're going to complete those chores or don't make your success dependent on your players completing those chores. Make them make them flavor, make them side. Uh, I guess not side quests is the right thing I'm looking for, but like asides, flavors, character developments, thing that only benefits the players if they take advantage of it because they're not going to take advantage of it. Okay, so make your home... So, so if, I, if I was... Crystallizing that into a lesson. Yep. I just heard you say, make your homework optional. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely it. I'm writing that down. Make your homework optional. And I think there maybe could be, if you do Well, there are always exceptions. There's always exceptions, right? Well, I was going to say, if you do have terrible players like us, that person who does actually do the homework... Have that be a really good benefit to them. Make make it make it highly beneficial for them to, to do that homework at home. See, Mechanically so. beneficial, like more experience points, more loot, or just flavorfully beneficial. I would almost say mechanically beneficial. Give them give them some bonuses on some rolls. Give them give them that luck that that could maybe benefit them for the day as the result of doing that homework. So I also heard you just say re- reward good between game behavior. Yeah. I'm just going to say reward good behavior. And I know there's probably listeners right now just yelling yelling and screaming and saying, I shouldn't have to do that. Your players shouldn't have to do that. If they're dedicated to the game, they wouldn't have to do that. But I, I think you also have to have a perspective of, you know, it's it's adult life. There's there's priorities. There's conflicts. That's true. Let's talk about our chops for a minute, right? Yeah. So this is a podcast where we talk about our games and lessons that we learned. Yeah. Some of them will probably be universal. We're just rediscovering lessons that are already in books. Some of them are probably specific to our group. That's a good point. So the value of the podcast and listening to the podcast isn't that we're experts who know everything about D&D. I mean, I've only been playing since 2009. Yep. So I'm sure lots of listeners have been playing for 30, 40 years. Much more experience. Take this much more seriously. The, the entire format of the show is meant to present us not as experts, but as enthusiastic learners. Right. We are really talking about our screw-ups. Yeah. So don't listen to this <laughs> podcast thinking that I'm trying to make myself out to be a Matt Colville. I am not. I love his channel. I love his show. I don't even know who Matt Colville is. See, exactly. <laughs> DMs do more research. But um, I am not Matt Colville. I'm not Matt Mercer. I am not Chris Perkins. Yeah. I, I am not... Uh, and, and you know what? I don't want to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a great hobby for me, and I love recording this podcast, and this podcast is a hobby for me. Yeah. I don't want to monetize this hobby the same way they are. This right. is this is the podcast of some enthusiastic learners yep. who are sharing their learning experience yep. in hope of helping a, a newer group or a newer game. And I think these are two good lessons. Make your homework optional and reward that good behavior regarding the homework or regarding any good behavior. Reward that good behavior. Yeah. I mean, rewarding the good behavior, we'll go off topic here for a second. Nathan makes lots of great one-liners in games, and we yes. reward that with advantage. He he, he looks for that advantage when, when he cracks us all up. <laughs> he does, yep. 
and I should say, he doesn't crack us all up in a silly way. He doesn't detract from the game. That's he meaningful. delivers that yeah. perfect line in the game. Yeah, it's very meaningful, and it, it totally enriches the overall game. It does. Yeah. So, yeah. so he gets advantage for that. All right. Um, I guess the lesson I learned from sending these emails and not getting responses is, is that for you guys, it does need to happen at the table. So I decided to focus a session completely on a PC. And, and, and Mike, I, I started with your character out of the gate. I started with Kyra. And we even called it a Kyra episode. <laughs> How was the Kyra episode? I mean, overall, or... Was it... You basically had to carry a session as, the, right. as quote, the main PC of that session. And, and yep. everyone had a role to play. Yeah. But this was a Kyra-focused session. Was that nerve-wracking, or was it okay? No, I, I actually really liked it. I, I liked that it gave me a chance to, to explore my character's feelings and my character's motivations a little more in depth than we normally do in the past. Because um, it seems like in all our previous campaigns, and especially in one-shots, you know, I'm I'm trying to act as my character, but really I'm, I'm me just doing things to play a game, to, to relax and have a good time with my friends. I felt this gave me a chance to, to actually get into the shoes of my character and walk around as her for a bit. And, and try to think more like she would think about her overall goals and her overall feelings, not only towards what she's trying to do, but also with the, with the players she's playing with, the people she's encountering, and, and her, her comrades in these adventures. So you got under her skin more. Yeah. So, so yeah, took, the lesson I took away was if we can't make some of that character development happening between games and yeah. it needs to happen at the table, then fine. Let's do it at the table. So I started the session off by saying, hey, this is going to be a, a, a quote, a Kyra episode. The same way Star Trek The Next Generation had a Geordi episode or a Riker episode. Oh, God. Was I the Data episode? No. <laughs> um, you were probably the Counselor Troy episode. Oh, no. That's almost worse. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it was, it was more badass than that. Dealing with undead and... Okay. and, and yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll get into that. I, I I feel you're feeling weird, Will. What's that feeling? <laughs> Sorry. So it was the Kyra episode. Um, I didn't give you any warning yeah. before the session. We sat down at the table with yeah. the maps and minis, and I turned to you and I said, Hey, Mike, um, this is a Kyra-focused episode. And I let everyone else know right away that we were going to focus on their characters in upcoming sessions. Yeah. I even laid out the order. I made it in leveling order. So, so after you, we had a Nathan se- session. Yep. And then uh, it was going to be Ezrin. Yep. And then uh, Valeris. Yep. So I let them know that their that their sessions were upcoming, and that those were the next three games that we were playing after this game. So for four games, we're going to focus on characters to do the development at the table. But point is, I didn't warn you. Yeah. We sat down. I turned to you. They all got warning. Yeah. You were the guinea pig. Would you have preferred that I warned you? Um, in retrospect, I'm going to say no. I think I was okay with it then. And so I would be okay without a warning, I guess, in the future. So I'm, I'm flexible with things like that. I, I feel like I can... I probably re- I don't want to I don't want to sound like I'm talking bad about the other people at the table, but I feel sometimes like I can get into character a little easier than than some of the other guys sometimes, and I think that was okay to to unexpectedly pop that on me since I can kind of go into character when needed to to advance a storyline. That's fair, and then, and I'll, I'll not to bad mouth everyone else at the table. But I chose you to be the guinea pig for a reason. I, I thought that I'd seen you connecting with Kyra in, in previous sessions and really 
getting into that. So, so what's the what do I put on the whiteboard for all this discussion that we just had? What's the lesson to take away? Is it the characterization? It's okay for characterization to happen at the table. Absolutely, um, I would say even more. The lesson we learned here is that it's okay to start off a session just focusing on RP and characterization. Um, uh, not to kind of blow the load for the next four games after this, but I think with this game and the games after it, we discovered that we absolutely enjoy starting our session like a good half hour or 45 minutes of, of character exploration, role-playing, decision-making, narrative, rather than just jumping right into a combat encounter. We, so it's like a, like a cutscene before yeah, the game. Yeah, we, we don't need to go right into combat to keep people interested and engaged. So I would say the lesson learned is there's absolutely nothing wrong with starting a game off with, with character-building, role-playing narrative. Okay. narrative. So to shorten that... Um, I guess as you prepare, if, if I'm a GM and I'm preparing, right, and if in-between session emails aren't happening, yep. then the lesson I'm going to learn is, you know what, at first, as you're getting a game off the ground, yep. focus on the game at the table. Yep. Okay. And as always, take our advice with a grain of salt, right? Because having, having episodes quote-unquote episodes, sessions of your campaign that focus on any one character, play that by ear. Yeah. For us, that worked well. We knew we were setting up a campaign. We knew act one of any good campaign is getting those characters together and exploring who they are. Yep. Um, so we knew that, and, and we, 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 we could metagame that out to say, um, hey, we're, we're, we're going to do that. We're going to explore each character one game at a time. If your game won't support that if your players don't know each other well, if you haven't played in one-shots together, and if you're worried you're going to lose Steve next session, but you focus this session on Andrew, then maybe don't focus on Andrew. Yep. So take it with a grain of salt, but for us it worked. Um, we've rarely, and this is changing topics, We've rarely acknowledged deities or gods in our games. And you yeah. being the cleric, yeah. and this being a Kyra-focused episode, I really wanted to do something that I've heard other GMs talk about and that I've seen in movies, yeah. Where and in the movie specifically, is is Wrath of the Dragon God, I think. No, no, I'm sorry, that's a terrible D&D thing. It's a... Uh, uh, I'll come back to it later. Wait, is that the one with Tom Baker as an elf, the elf lord? No, that oh. is the original D anD D movie. Yeah, where Jeremy Irons was the bad That's guy. Right. That's right. Yeah, uh, Curse or Wrath of the Dragon God. That was the second one. Okay, where where Damodar came back as the bad guy, but they had a whole different crop of heroes. Yeah. Okay. And then there was this uh, this new um, movie came out a couple of couple of. Couple, just a couple years ago, 2014, and I kind of it was a terrible movie. Yeah, but I really loved it, and it was very much a D and D campaign turned into a movie. And, and, and the main character was a cleric; he was Celtus the Wanderer. Hmm. Um, I will pause the podcast before we finish, and I will look up the name of that movie. Okay, but he was this cleric, and his god appeared to him. His yeah. goddess appeared to him a couple times, and he changed goddesses, 
at one point. So I really wanted to have that whole goddess angle. Interesting. And in our campaigns before, we've been playing for years, since 2009. We've never We've never on, done that. Yeah. Ever. And divine magic has never felt different than our no, Than magic. our regular, yeah, wizard magic. It's like, oh, I cast a spell because who, who cares? So I had a god show up. I had your god show yep. up and appear yep. to you in a dream. Yep. And set up the, the plot of what, give you a mission, basically. Yep. How was that? Did that feel out of place in our game? Did how no, was that? I, I thought that was awesome um, because I I also you know was thinking the, these times I've played clerics in the past before and healers and, and all these things that have divinity powered spells we've never played aspects to the divinity um, and it it definitely gave my character a little more depth right so so now I had to 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 give a focus of. Are the things I'm doing in this game things that would please my god? Because my god, my goddess, Saren Ray, in this game is a very real person who now communicates to me and judges me and actively visits me in my dreams. Even though I may be crazy and I'm imagining all this, my character believes it's real. So now I have to act according to this god who could have a very real influence on my life. That's an interesting question. I've never asked you that. Right. To you, is Saren Ray real oh, or absolutely. not? Absolutely. No, absolutely. In my character, Saren Ray... No, no, Ray... But, but to you, Mike, the player. Oh, no. To, to Kyra, Saren Ray's real. Yeah. But to you, Mike, the player, in your mind, in yeah. our world, yeah. is Saren, in our imaginary world, is Saren Ray, quote-unquote, real to that world? Or is she... Mm. Or is she... Obviously, she's not real to you, no, Mike. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you but know, is she I real in that world? I haven't thought about that. That that may be an angle I have to start taking before we uh, before we finish up this campaign and 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 and, and, and play that out a bit because that would actually be very interesting in, in the in the same point area we have now where where no one even knows who this goddess is and I have this little subplot where I'm teaching the kids of, of, of Sandpoint about this goddess who who may not even exist in anyone else's <laughs> world and I may just be this crazy despot who's like corrupting the kids. Have you heard the good news about Saren? Exactly. So if she's not real, where do your powers come from? That's an even better question. And so that that's what makes it difficult. That's what I actually don't like about deities in D&D, is that because that god or goddess is giving you powers, that automatically makes them real, but... Is the belief in that god or goddess like Dumbo's feather? Really, the divine magic yeah, was in you, Mike. Yeah, the whole time. <laughs> I am a god. We've never... We've, we've never... Something that you said earlier made me think that, that you thought that... Yeah. That, that maybe you, Mike, thought that Saren Ray wasn't even real in the world, in the imaginary world. So, so that's why I went down that road. I, I hope I haven't. I hope I haven't poisoned your experience of the campaign. That this could be. No, I, I think you've given me a whole other path <laughs> to explore, and I, I think that's going to have to be something I wrap up before we finish this campaign. All right. So, so back on topic, a, a deity showing up in the game to you, it enriched the game. Yeah, absolutely. So, what's the lesson to draw from that? It's something that I had never done before. Yeah. Is the lesson try try new things? Is the lesson, hey, you know what? If a character plays as a paladin or a cleric, go ahead and 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 drop in their god. I mean, what what is the lesson here? Is, uh, is there a lesson, yeah. or am I overblowing this? It, it may not be a full lesson. It may just be like a general guidance through the game, right? So, if if you have someone. Who has a has a god? Who has a divine power? Who's drawing power from a divine character? I should say, drop that god into their character and see if they start to pick it up. I, I would say if they 
they do pick it up, then absolutely encourage them to to vocalize at the table. You know, what what are you thinking? What are what are you doing that's in accordance with with your God who's giving you this power? But be careful not to force them, not to pigeonhole them into that, because if if they don't want to play that God aspect, I think they're going to lose lose touch with that character pretty quick. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So, so here's something that I, I when I introduced Saren Ray, here's some thoughts. Here's here's one thought that I had. Yeah. Notorious online, you hear lots of of, of GM horror stories about the fallen paladin, mm. and the fallen paladin being um, kind of a a punishment that GMs wield against Paladin players. Mm-hmm. All the Paladin player does this, guess what, you're a fallen Paladin and you no longer have powers. Your wow. powers are all gone. Wow. And I'm not saying I would never do a fallen Paladin or a fallen Cleric, like a Lost Faith campaign. Yeah. But the player would need to ask for it. Yeah. That that would that would absolutely be something you you would need to get someone's input on because otherwise you're just you're just destroying their character. You might as well just take their character sheet and say, Yeah, you're done. Leave yeah. my table. Now I could see propose like maybe I propose, hey Mike, yeah. to be dramatic. What if you lost your powers for a session and then we had you switch god or goddess or this new god or goddess offered I could see offering you that, but it would be a negotiation where you would yeah, I'd prefer if you wanted to play a fallen paladin. Yeah, that you request it, you yeah. the player. Just, just or thinking, just thinking. I ask that. and you agree, but I would never just yeah. drop it on you. Just thinking through that mechanically, when they do a fallen paladin, is that character's is that character only left with basic fighting mechanics, just regular attack? Yeah, everything that's not divine. Wow. So, so nothing. Well, it depends. <laughs> it depends on the game, right? Yeah. Um, so some editions have you know paladins do stuff that's not divine, but it's still really impressive feats of battle or, or whatever. Um, and if that paladin's multi class, and of course all those abilities remain. But yeah, I mean like divine yeah. any any power that would have divine in it. Yeah. You know, smite or whatever the healing, the healing power. I mean that would all go away. Yeah, because thinking thinking from my cleric, every spell my cleric uses is a oh yeah divinity spell. Yeah, clerics would lose all spells. Yeah, I could only attack with my rapier, and that would be awful. And your yeah, scimitar, whatever. No, 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 no. I use a rapier. No, you don't. Wait. Oh wait. No, that's right. The thief uses the rapier. Because uh, we were talking about that last time. Saren Ray's specific weapon is the is the scimitar. This is how bad I am at D and D. So yeah. Well, at least you say Saren Ray. Yeah. Initially, it was Saray Ray. Well, that was her nickname. <laughs> that was her nickname. All right, so I still don't know what to write down as the lesson learned as far as deities. I, you know yeah. what? Let, let's skip it for this session. Yeah. We, we have another Saren Ray episode coming up. I, I want to think more about this because I think there is a lesson here. Yeah. I was nervous about including Saren Ray. Really? Yeah. I mean, religion, introducing religion. I mean,. What yeah. should you never talk about? Religion and politics. <laughs> yeah. But I felt free to do it because, by God, yeah. you're playing a cleric. Yeah. yeah. If you're playing a cleric or a paladin, you, yeah. then, then religion can't be a quote-unquote trigger warning for you. Right. You chose to play a divine class. Right. right. So I, I, I was, But I was nervous about including uh, having a deity appear to a player. Hmm. No one seemed to mind. No yeah. one called... Yeah. Dropping a higher power into a game and dropping a potentially super-powered NPC into a campaign was nerve-wracking for me. And I've never had Saren Ray interact with the physical world. Yeah. 
I think that's a good And I don't think she can in yeah. my world. Yeah. Because if she could, then what's to stop you from praying to Saren Ray right. every time you're in trouble? Right. So I, I was really nervous about introducing a God. So I, you know what? The lesson I'm going to put down for this is, is, is try different things. As a GM, I had never introduced a God. Yeah. And I tried something new and it worked out. I've tried other new things as Test and Learns for a session and it didn't work at all. Yep. So you know what? Try new things. It was a throwaway cutscene at yep. the beginning of this session, and if it didn't work, we could have dumped it and just never talked about it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, moving on. So we we have this theme that we've been playing with in Sandpoint. Yep. Because the people of Sandpoint, in my world, not in the beginner box as written, but in my world, yep. they're Paylor worshippers. They're, they're sun god worshippers, yep. and they they cremate. Every you know all the bodies, yeah. so they cremate all their dead, and that's been the case for hundreds of years. There's a graveyard in town that's hundreds of years old that they don't really venture into anymore. But because they cremate all the bodies, there's really a complete lack of belief in this part of the world about undead. Yeah. I really wanted that Van Helsing feel in Bram Stoker's Dracula to mm-hmm. to knowledge of vampires and knowledge of the undead. Yeah. Is rare and exotic, yeah. and I, I wanted to have that because undead can feel so common in D anD D, and they are very common monsters, and we've used them extensively. Yep. But I really wanted them to be alien for Sandpoint. I've seen that frustrate you at times, <laughs> yeah. and I've seen you okay with that at times. Yeah. What do you think? Am I stupid to, to take something as basic as undead? and make it alien to the NPCs, or, or, or what's going on there? So that's a good question. There are times when it frustrates me, especially when it's a scenario where we have clearly encountered and defeated undead creatures with proof of, here is this encounter we've had with these undead creatures. Look at this proof. And then, and then you, very, very, I mean, to your credit... You do an excellent job of, of getting into those NPCs' heads and coming up with excuses to push down that proof. I like people it. would be in real life. Yeah, I scull- yes. So from X-Files, yes. I scully it every step of the way. Yes. I scully everything they see. And you, you guys brought a body. Remember the first time <laughs> yeah. you killed a ghoul and yep. you brought its head back yep. and she was like, okay, this is... This is a corpse's head. Yeah. What does this prove? Yeah, exactly. And you guys, the look on your face is like, priceless. Oh, God. <laughs> and, and I think that's, that's the part of it that gets frustrating is that as... Frustrating in, or- no, great frustrating. Okay. In character, as the NPC, you say the exact right thing that would frustrate someone trying to prove this in a, a quote-unquote real-world scenario. That's I think that's the best part. So I think it's great. I think it's awesome. I think you're doing a lot of lifting on your end to make that happen, and it's awesome. Not really. It plays on, on my natural beliefs. Like I can understand an ecosystem that produces goblins and kobolds and, and, and even trolls, right? You, yep. you can make up ways those creatures could have evolved or, or, or whatever, but undead. Yeah. Like, that's a lot. Even a skeleton that follows simple orders. Yeah. I mean, if you program... Robo-skeleton? I mean, artificial intelligence is so far away. Yeah. How do you magically imbue something with intelligence? And I guess you could argue that really you're, you're leveraging the, the original soul of that uh, that inhabited that corpse. Right. And 
you can give that soul orders, and that soul is smart enough to fill in the gaps. But yeah. no, it, the the lack of belief in undead very much plays on what I've always felt about the default D monsters, where the living monsters can make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and some of the more gimmicky monsters don't. See that? Yeah. But I, but but they're still fun to play with. So so yeah. try new things. Um, sorry, we move on. Undead being alien. What's, I think, the, what's the lesson to draw there? Is there? Yeah. A- I think the lesson to draw there is not to try and repeat on trying new things, but make make your NPCs challenge the world that they live in. Right. So, so make your NPCs not uniform to the narrative and uniform to the storyline. They're not there just to enable the plot. They're there to challenge the players, to challenge the evidence. Um. So I guess to summarize that is just make your NPCs antithesis to, to the narrative almost. Is that the lesson? Or is it make make them not completely subservient to the plot? That, that that's probably the better. Because I don't narrative. feel like they're antithesis to the narrative. Yeah. They're just not they're, they're vital they're to not the servants to the plot. Yeah. They're not just there to be script monkeys. They're not just there to give you a quest and then give you a reward. Right. They're, they're more interactive than that. Yeah. Um, but still, the, 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 that's a larger NPC thing. Let's move on, from it, and maybe we'll come back and draw a lesson from that. But I, I like having some alien aspect to the world that one or more of the NPCs are kind of in the know yeah. on. Yeah. And that's kind of their thing that they're trying to warn everyone about and, and deal with. So we'll come back to, to, to draw a lesson there. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I let you think your way out of combat. Yeah. So in the graveyard, so you went to the old, old graveyard in Sandpoint, yeah. based on Saren Ray's warning about undead. Yeah. And I let you completely bypass combat. Talk about that for a minute. So I, I had mixed feelings about it, right? Because sometimes well, first I just of all, tell everyone what we did. Okay. Yeah. So basically, we went to the graveyard. We we found a corpse. We defeated that corpse that was reanimated. It was, it was cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. And upon that, we started exploring the rest of the graveyard. There was a crypt that we couldn't get into. Or no, we could get into the crypt, but it had four or three coffins in it. It had a number of sarcophagi. number of sarcophagi in it that, that we, we we got into and we saw. And knowing from our experience there, we're like, well, obviously there's ghouls in these sarcophagi. And we had a tough battle with the previous ghoul. So we knew if somehow we were sprung on by these three ghouls at once or however many it was... It could be lethal. It could be bad for our party. Um, so we also learned from our previous encounter that the ghouls were weakened in sunlight and that if you could get the drop on them, it wouldn't be that tough of an encounter. So we basically engineered a way to pull the sarcophagi one by one out of the tomb, open the lid to the sarcophagi, and immediately stake whatever was in that You pulled the complete John Carpenter's vampires. Yes, absolutely. So in that movie, they go down into the vampire tunnels, and they they harpoon the vampires, and they use a a winch on a truck to pull the vampires into sunlight and kill them. Yep. You guys took a horse and cart, and using chains... You drag the sarcophagi out into the sun, yep. levered off the lid, and you attacked the ghouls in the sunlight. Yep. And, and it got to the point where it was so easy 
after the first one or two that we actually rolled, where I was like, okay, you don't even roll. You, yeah. you, you just do it. We just bypassed combat, and you just got a bunch of free experience points. Yep. You said you have mixed... So, at the time, I'm like, I I had learned lessons from previous games. Yep. I had learned the lesson from Dusk of not letting you set the card on fire. Yep. I had learned the lesson of having some bullshit deus ex machina reason why... Um, your plan won't work, and I I didn't do that. By God, yeah, you're smart. You're 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 you have ingenuity. Your plan will work. Yeah, but I also felt like it was a total cop out on combat. Yeah. So so the reason I had mixed feelings of this is we were doing the exact same thing with this that we were doing with Tomb of Horrors that that we take a little inch here and a little inch there and a little inch here and a little more and then all of a sudden we have this this grand scheme of dissecting a problem from A to Z into the teeniest tiniest little bits and the whole reason we're doing that dissection is to reduce the threat of, of death, to reduce the threat of combat damage and I have mixed feelings about that because while I love that our group thinks like that and we come up with these crazy convoluted plans that, that, that take a lot of uh, planning and, and resolution and some good luck rolls. Well, and you spent money. And on, we spent money. You hired the cart, you bought the horses, you, yeah. Yeah. While I love that our group does that, sometimes I also feel like just 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 do the thing. Just fight the fight the goblin. Just just do it. So I don't know if you noticed this, but to mitigate. Yeah. So as, as, a, as a DM, I've got a responsibility to let your plans work when they're perfectly reasonable. Yep. But I also have a responsibility not to take up an inordinate amount of time in the session. Yeah. So once you guys more or less figured it out, yeah. I hand-waved a lot. Yeah. Like, as soon as the first two combats were, were, were lickety-split... It's like, okay. Okay, we're not, we're not having combat. We're not rolling anymore. This just works. Yeah. And I think I even said, okay, there's eight more coffins. Without incident, you take them out. Yeah. It was a lot of goals, yeah. So so I just got to the point where I completely hand-waved it and we moved on to the next phase of the adventure. Yeah. So I didn't let it take up that much game time. Yeah. But I still felt like it was a cop-out. So as players, did you destroy your own fun? Or no. No, I don't think we did. I think for our group, and again, this is kind of one of those things for the listeners there, that your group is maybe completely different, and you may be in a group where that absolutely does destroy your own fun, but I think for our group, we're we're casual enough and we're we're relaxed enough about our games that if we spend time just coming up with this crazy scenario that works, that sometimes is more fun than going through the mechanics of combat. I don't know. I don't know. So where do the mixed feelings come from? <laughs> that we're cheesing the game. That <laughs> I, in my head, as a player, as someone who has run games before, I understand that we as players are totally cheesing our way out of combat. And that if, if we had a DM who who maybe wasn't as permissive, I don't know, maybe permissive isn't the right word, but if we had someone who was, who was more strict and by the book, wouldn't allow us to do these grand schemes that ultimately allow us to cheese our way out of combat. But the, but the answer is not for me to say, no, that doesn't work, you have to fight the ghoul. No, that's not the answer. So is the answer to give you permission to be cheesy? Like, like what is the answer? What, what would make you feel 100% positive or at least 95% positive versus what looks like 75% positive? 
You know, I don't I don't know if there is an answer for that. That may just be something that only exists in my head of me kind of personally being a games warden. Because I think I think when I ran games, I was definitely more a games warden than you were. There were a lot of times I was just like, nope, that hurts. Nope, you can't do that. So I, I think part of it it may just be in my head because I think I think we talked about it a little more when the games that I ran as a DM, I was a little more restrictive. I was more of a game warden. And so I think the conflict only really exists with me in that I, who have previously ran games before, understand that we as players are kind of cheesing our way out of combat. Okay. What if I'd done this? What if I had said, okay, this works, and I'm going to hand wave it, it all works, but you're only getting half this XP? That might be, yeah. Would, would that have alleviated your guilt? Honestly, yeah. I think it would have been either either some sort of reduction in XP or or something that says, okay... While you found a successful solution to this, you don't get the full combat XP. So now I've got to explore that, right? Because at the time I didn't think of that because it would have felt to me like, hey, great plan, you guys, but I'm going to punish you for doing it. You're only getting half the XP. But at the same time, if I had had time to think about it and explain it differently, I could explain it as, all right, guys, you're getting half XP, but... You're spending none of your resources. You're spending no hit points, no yeah. spells. Yeah. This it's it's only half XP. Yep. But it's free XP. XP. Yep. The reason it's half is because it's risk free. Yep. And I don't like that. But I'm still rewarding you because you're clever. And, and since you mentioned that, that actually triggered something in my brain that I think also runs in my head as mechanics as a game warden. Um, basically, these these early combat encounters are simply set up there to drain the party's resources, do preliminary damage, oh, yeah. so you can get to that final boss in the encounter, and it's a little more risky, it's a little more uh, lethal. Um, and I think I think it double double down double down on that. Um, we used to be really bad in our early D and D games if we would do an encounter and we would rest twelve hours and no, we'd no, do you, an encounter. No. And you put a stop to that a long time ago. Well, it was actually short rests. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And the problem, the reason I couldn't stop you from... So, no, we didn't do the long rest. I didn't... I I learned the lesson a long time ago of making the adventure time-sensitive enough that you didn't have time to go to sleep for eight hours. You had to go rescue the girl right now. Yeah. You had to go rescue the kid right now. You had to go kill the monster right now. But in fourth edition... So much of your powers refreshing. Oh yeah, it was your based encounter on the powers were based on the short rests, yeah. and those short rests you could spend all those healing surges, and, yeah. and you can still spend anyway. Wait, yeah, yeah. Um, but you're raising a good point. And a long time ago, I had learned the lesson of, hey, the overall adventure is time sensitive. I let you guys have some time on this one on purpose. It yeah. wasn't time sensitive. You, you guys didn't know it, but you couldn't get to the vampire until midnight. Anyway, yeah. Because that's when the portal opened up. And, and, we and you guys didn't know day. about the portal. Yeah. So you spent the day yeah. killing ghouls yeah. before the portal opened up at midnight, which was smart of you. So I didn't make it time sensitive on purpose because in my head as DM, I had already committed to... Here's what the enemies are up to. And that's what I love about having a realistic game, is when I make those commitments before I walk in the room to say, here's what's going on. 
And however they figure it out or engage with it is fine, but here's what's going on. And when I commit to that, it lets us be uh, not like every novel you read, not like every movie, not like every trope. Things are a little different, and when things are a little different, that's when I think you guys get your interest perked up, yep. is when it's not like a movie. Yep. When when the bad thing doesn't jump out, you know, for, 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 for the last jump scare or whatever. Yep. When it's different from movies and books, that's when it's interesting. That's why we play this game. Yep. So what's the lesson? It, it, it's... Let's go back to you noped your way out of combat. You figured out a way around it. You got the XP, but you felt guilty. Yeah. And to 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 I think maybe to the, get rid of that guilt. Yeah. Scale the reward. I think that is the answer. If if your party finds a way to completely circumvent any combat, any threat, any expenditure of resources or, or vitality by circumventing combat, lower that XP a little. Okay. Bit. So I'm going to say. And you know what? I didn't even have to say it was half XP. Yeah. I could just say, all right, guys, this just works. Yeah. And here's how many experience points you get. Right. And if I just would have said the number and not told you that it was half, you guys would have been like, awesome, awesome. great. That's sweet, yeah. So yeah. I'm going to say reward cleverness, but to scale. Yep. I like that. I like that a lot. And that's something that I hadn't thought about from our session. This is why I'm glad, I'm glad we do this podcast. You can actually flip that on its head, though, right? So if if you're trying to encourage your group to be a little more clever, to do more critical thinking and problem solving rather than just jumping straight into combat, you, you could flip that. Um, so you could you could actually over-reward a party who's done something clever that normally only just runs headlong into combat. That's fair. So I think we're back to our second lesson learned from the session, which is reward good behavior. Yeah. Yep, yep. And by the way, remember, in, in Terror on the Pataro, in, yep. the, in the Steamship game, yeah. you guys didn't know it, but had you had you not, had you you gone for non-lethal, you would have doubled your XP. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. I think that's, that's, that's probably the best lesson learned so far for this episode. Okay. And it's still a little mushy, but so is the game. Yeah. But I like the takeaway of if I would have scaled down the reward, you wouldn't have felt guilty. Yeah. And that guilt about the cheese is interesting. I, I hadn't really thought about that. All right. Two more things I want to talk about, and then we're going to finish up. So this was the, the, the first time, first game, where I blatantly put the monsters' AC and hit points up on the whiteboard. Yeah. So you guys encountered the gargoyle. Um, the gargoyle had a damage reduction mechanic that you didn't know about. Yeah. And I, I decided, you know what? And I've talked about this a little bit on the show before, but this was the first time I did it. Yeah. Um, you know what? These guys, from being... In, if if, if they're, they're characters in the world who are standing there fighting the gargoyle, yeah. they're going to have all this context that I could never narrate. Yeah. If a picture's worth a thousand words, then an experience is worth a million. And I can't say those million words. I can't talk about the weight of the sword in your hand and, and, and you guys swinging at the gargoyle and hitting it and not chipping off nearly as much concrete as you thought you might. Yeah. You know, describing all that and managing combat, it's a lot to manage. So I cheated. Yeah. I cheated and I put the hit points in the AC on the board because I thought, you know what? The hit points, sorry, the AC is an abstraction in game mechanics for how hard this thing is to hit and damage. Yep. Yeah. The hit points are an abstraction of how much damage it can take. Both of those are things that if you were in the world, you'd have a general feel for that. You, so so yeah. giving you those numbers isn't metagaming. 
it, it, it's just giving your characters, a, a, giving you players a numerical representation of what your characters would experience and what they would know intuitively yeah. without me overburdening it with a ton of rosy language. So ugh, I'm doing the thing I said I wouldn't do and, and, ask, <laughs> and taking five minutes to ask the question. Set up. No, that's okay. So I've basically answered my own question. That's why I did it. That's my just... Was it a cop out for you? Were you were you bummed out to see the AC and the, and the hit points? Was it? I think it works for our group, and I think when we talk about putting the AC and the hit points on our group, that's one of the things we really need to caveat that that's something as a a, a DM as a GM that you need to be aware of. Does this actually work for your group? Because I think a lot of people would see that as a cop out. I think there's probably a lot of listeners at home who are screaming at the top of their lungs, no, you can't ever reveal HP and AC because for a lot of DMs, that's kind of the key to how they, they run their monsters. You know, they, Oh, I've read story after yeah. story where DMs keep the hit point secret in case they need to ramp them up or, yep. or chop them down, yep, yep. Which, is, which is a great strategy, yep. but I've stopped doing that. Yeah, so I, I think this is definitely one of those things we need to say with a caveat, but I think that caveat is that it absolutely works for our group. I think it simplifies combat for us. It makes it go a little quicker. It makes people maybe pay a little more attention to what's going on. <laughs> so here's what I like about it. Yep. This was the first combat I had run with you guys in eight years yep. where you retreated. Yes. I knew that thing had a high AC. Yes. I knew it had damage reduction. Yes. And I thought, man, these guys aren't going to retreat. They're going to they're gonna wipe. We're going to keep bashing our heads against the wall until we die. Yeah. But, but if they were in the world yeah. and they experienced what their characters were experiencing, which is not doing any damage to this thing, they would run. Yep. So I was like, I'm putting this on the board. Yep. And when I put it on the board, and you guys did nine points of damage, and I only took four hit points off. Then we were like, oh, something's wrong. And, and when you were missing, missing, missing that high AC and not yeah. doing a lot of damage, that was the this was the first combat you guys ever retreated from. And that's the moment when I was like, you know what? I'm losing that dial to adjust of hit points up and down. Yeah. But, but I'm gaining... I'm gaining the realism of you guys backing away from a tough fight. Yeah. So that's why ever since I've done this. I think there's a lot of listeners who would probably say encountered that if we as players weren't paying enough attention to notice that we were failing in combat and in a lethal situation, then our characters deserve to die. Which is, again, why I put that caveat on there that this absolutely works for our game. Yeah, and those same people could argue that I should be giving those florid, rosy descriptions of, so, the, of the monster not taking damage. This is how you failed, yeah. But as there's a lot to manage yeah. as a GM, and, and I need shortcuts here and there. Yeah. This is a shortcut I'm going to keep taking. Do you mind? No, I don't mind at all. I think it works really well for our game. I personally like seeing it up there. Um it is a shortcut for, I think, for us, too. It helps us focus on, you know, hey, there's four enemies on the field. These three have an AC of 15. That one has an AC of 20. Maybe we deal with them last. Yeah, and, so, and you know what? And, and I think that feels in real life, right? So if, if you're in an encounter with, with, with four people and three of them look like wimps and one of them looks like a badass, maybe you don't mess with the badass until you can all gang up on them. Or... To, to take AC even further, if you're in the world, yeah. 
that number is a representation of what you're seeing. Right. And if three of them, if three of the goblins are wearing rags with yeah. a little bit of leather or studded armor, yeah. And the one guy's in full plate. Yeah. Hey, save him for last. Yeah. And yeah. by the way, putting the numbers up there yeah. has forced me to describe it because yeah. that happened. No. When I put that orc boss up there from a couple, from, yeah. from, from 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 a few sessions back that we talked about. Oh no, I'm sorry. That that's coming up. I forgot that we recorded episode 24. Oh yeah. Ahead. Yes. Yeah. Nathan's leaving town, so we've already recorded four episodes from now. So yep. when we get to that game and, and, and with the Orc War Boss, yep. I wrote his AC up on the board and you guys were like, what? what? Yeah, no. We and, were, and that reminded yeah. me to say, oh yeah, he's wearing yeah. you know, scale male armor. This guy's well armored. Yeah. So it forced me to describe his armor. Yeah. So I think that works out pretty well. Alright, last question for me about this session. So, uh, and by the way, you guys didn't defeat the vampire, right? You, 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 had, yeah. to, you had to back away. Yep. You, you retreated from the Gargoyle, you learned the lesson about hey, the vampire comes out at midnight. Yep. And I had some very whispered, you know, Valeros. So that the vampire did. We defeated a vampire, but then I got scolded by Saren Ray because for, there were more vampires. Yeah, for not defeating the. And I ignored her pluralization. Yep. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, so you didn't completely finish the vampire. We had to come back to the session later. Yeah, we we focused on the other characters. Yeah, and then at the next full moon at midnight. Yeah, so in game time a month out, you guys came back and had to finish this up. Yep. But this was the first session where I sent out a full recap email. I had been sending emails with experience yeah. points and treasure. Yeah, but this was the first time I had like a journal section where here's everything that happened. Here's the treasure. Here, here's your experience. Here's your total experience to date. Yeah, and I did that work for you guys. Yeah, which is which is really awesome. You say that, but you guys never reply. <laughs> we never reply. I, I will also say this. Do you read the email? I don't even know. Do I read it? I do, and I'm going to tell on myself on what such a horrible player I am. If you weren't doing these emails, I would have no clue how much gold I have, how much XP I have. That's that's how bad I am at maintaining my character outside of the game and at home. Ah, we're busy though. I we mean, I, I don't feel put upon to, to do that yeah. because I'm the one that has all the math behind the scenes. I have the experience points. I have all the stuff. Yeah. So I'm the one that can put it together. Yeah. But uh, no, it doesn't bother me to put the emails together. But but you do read it. Do you right. actually read the recap section Absolutely. or just the treasure? No, I read the recap section too. Uh, section too. Uh, I like how you run down step by step in the game, and I like that in a lot of them, you kind of put a couple of lines here and there of this is what the character learned about themselves, or this is what you learned about Sandpoint, or this is what you learned about Serenry, or this is how, or not Serenry, this is how uh, Shalalu is reacting to all these events going on. Um, so I really do like that you put those recaps. It, it does a good job of, of making the world a little more real, kind of tying in some of the the loose ends that we might not have picked up at the game, at the table at the time, because we were distracted looking at HP or gold pieces or something. But uh, it, it makes a nice bookend to the game session. And I've kept doing this. I've kept doing these emails. Yeah. So clearly I learned a lesson. You know, how, how you put that lesson into words? Is it... Is it Recap the session. Put a put a session journal out there. Have someone. I mean, what, what's the yeah. lesson here, right? It's made our campaign fluid. Yeah, one session really has flowed into the next. Yeah, 
And for me, it's because, even for me, I can reread these notes between sessions. Yeah. Um, and I always took notes, but I'll be honest, I can't always read my handwriting a month later or two weeks later. Yeah. But when I go home and I, and I, with, I, I make a promise to myself, we play on Thursdays, yeah. I've got to have the email out by Monday. Yeah. With, with, with the whole, re- and often I have it out over the weekend. I can read that email because it's it's typed. I, and my notes are fresh. I can type up the email no problem. And I've gotten pretty quick at putting this out there. Yeah. I think for me the lesson is, you know, record your sessions somehow. Yeah. We've recorded our sessions on this very Tascam mini recorder that we're using, and it's made me a better GM. And we, I document our session, and it makes me a better GM. It makes me pay attention. So, so I'm going to put that. Document your sessions. All right, let's go back and reread the lessons learned from this session. Oh, by the way, I, I this is the first recap email. I started naming our sessions. So this session, you know, after the fact, I always name the session after the fact in the in the email. Mission from God, referencing Blues Brothers, of course. Yeah. All right, so here are the lessons we learned. Make your homework optional. Um. For our group, gaming is something that happens at the table for most of the players. So make your homework optional, but then, as a tag onto that, reward good behavior, both between sessions and at the table. So reward good behavior. Third, focus on the game at the table. When you're doing your prep, if people aren't responding between sessions to your emails or your threads, you know, this is a tabletop role-playing game. Focus on creating those good experiences at the table. Focus on making sure everyone has a good time at the table. So focus on the game on the table. I had this phrase from several episodes ago where I talked about you've really got to let the adventure happen at the, at the table and not on the page. Yep. So don't be a slave to the pre-written adventure or to your own notes. But, uh, but yet again, focus on the game at the table. Four, try new things. So I, I put a god in the game. It was new for us. It worked out. Try new things. Um, reward cleverness, but to scale. So, you know, and there were a lot of lessons embedded in there, right? If people are being clever, you know, great, but hand wave it, get past it, get to the next combat where they do have to fight. So, so be, watch how much real time these things take up at your, at your table. But reward that cleverness. Don't nix it. But but don't you know, maybe don't reward it with full XP if they're completely avoiding combat and it's risk free. Hey, be open about the mechanics. So I, I put AC and hit points on the board. Everyone may not, but to me, trying to be open about the mechanics and seeing what that adds to your game, maybe give it a shot. If it doesn't work for you, back off of it. But being more open about the mechanics and about the mechanical abilities of of the baddies has really opened up a lot more flavor in our game. It has not made our game more crunchy. It's made our game less crunchy. I, I experienced my first retreat um, from, from exposing those mechanics. And then finally, document your sessions. I wish we had a succinct lesson learned about you know, treating undead as alien or as different or as rare knowledge in this world. Yeah. Well, let's think on that, and maybe we'll come back to it. But by the way, here we are at the end of this podcast episode. The The movie is Curse of the Dragon Slayer. So um, I said it was a terrible movie. Uh, in all fairness, 
I don't. It's not terrible. I love it. I actually bought the Blu-ray. My daughter loves it. You like terrible movies, though. I do, but, but <laughs> it's clearly on a limited budget. But I think the script is really well done. To me, it, 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 it's such. It, it so well embodies a good D and D campaign. There are three good, you know, PCs that have some friction at first, but ultimately work together. Anyway, Curse of the Dragon Slayer. I recommend it, but I recommend it with a grain of salt. So thank you for listening. RPG Lessons Learned Episode 20, Mission from God. And uh, hey, don't forget to use that tfradio.net Amazon referral link. We are not in um, RFC Studios right now, but we are using a a recorder uh, that, that, that is a really high quality recorder that Brian was able to make happen thanks to the very small kickback that he gets from Amazon from that referral program. So it really does fund content being created and and it does not overfund it. Brian's got a real job. He's not making bank at all. In fact, it's not even covering his expenses. So, uh, oh, no, I mean, the job certainly is not the, not not the the referral link is what I mean. (laughs) Uh, Hey, thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your week. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned, and we're sharing ours with you.